Sorry, I don't love you. A phrase I've grown accustomed to. Cause with you, if something isn't wrong, something isn't wrong, something isn't right. Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back this week, as is Lee Munson, and we are going to be discussing The Defenders, but before we do that, I want to quickly let you know that today's show is brought to you by Loot Crate. You can save 10% on any new subscription at trylootcrate.com forward slash geekdompod, and you enter the code BRIDGE10 to get that 10% savings. I'll have the link in the show notes so you guys don't have to dig for it or anything like that or memorize it. But now we're going to go ahead and jump into the conversation. Lee, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Deanna. How are you? Pretty good. It's starting to, you know, warm up here in California. So I'm sure pretty soon here, podcasting will be a little more unpleasant. <laughs> really? Uh, we're, we're getting towards uh, the end of summer out here in Minnesota. So like, it's still pretty warm, but uh, fall seems like it's just around the corner. Yeah, see, we're going to have like weather in the 90s coming up this next week or so. So I'm not entirely looking forward to that, but we do have air conditioning, so it makes it more bearable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's still pretty hot out. So like, I'm kind of enclosed in my room without any fans going or near the air conditioning. So uh, this will be fun. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we go <laughs> ahead and just jump right in here. I think first we can sort of just generally discuss what we liked and didn't like about this. Have you watched all of the previous seasons leading up to The Defenders? Yeah, I've I've watched every show that was going to tie into The Defenders. Um, love it or hate it, I finished all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, personal favorite, Jessica Jones. I feel like that's where most en- people end up landing. Uh, and... Obviously, the the weak link is Iron Fist, to be sure, because um, there is nothing likable about Danny Rand. <laughs> yeah, and I actually had done a ranking of the Marvel Netflix shows over at Hidden Remote, and I have to, you know, edit it now or send my Defenders inclusion to the editors so they can toss that in there. But Iron Fist was definitely, you know, bottom of the list even before this came out and it'll probably it's definitely going to stay there not probably it's definitely staying there but for me I think between Jessica Jones and the first season of Daredevil I think those two were very close for me if I'm remembering correctly I think Daredevil edged it out just a little for me and I think that's just because you know it was the first one everyone was so excited about it and I feel like that one sort of set the bar fairly high and then some of the other stuff just didn't quite get up there but Jessica Jones was like neck and neck with it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that the main reason that Daredevil Season 1 and Jessica Jones succeed so well is that they have some of the best villain characterization in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And I think Jessica Jones edges it out for me personally because the uh, the social messaging, particularly as like the sexual assault allegory that runs throughout the entire season, that really struck me as something powerful that whereas like daredevil season one was fun but it didn't quite have the same sort of social edge to it yeah definitely and i think you know for the defenders it's not necessarily the villain or villains that make this show a bit better for me i think it's just the fact that they 
were able to include so many of not only the heroes, but their supporting cast from each of the solo shows and everything, and really sort of have them interacting here and there on the side. And, you know, The Hand is a group that we've already seen. It started with Daredevil season two, continued in the first season of Iron Fist. And now it's like, okay, you know, we're familiar with Madame Gao. And while Sigourney Weaver's Alexandra was a new character, it's like the general idea of the villain was the same. Yeah, I am not a fan of the hand, uh, at least as they've been portrayed in these shows. They somehow made a ninja death cult seem really boring. <laughs> yeah. Like, nothing about them has been built up to make them seem all that impressive. They mostly just lurk in the shadows and then have kung fu abilities that are pretty much on par with the heroes, but never seem all that threatening or menacing. They just sort of lurk, like like an ineffectual Illuminati. Uh, so, I don't know, I... Once it started becoming clear that they pretty much outlined the entirety of the Netflix shows to lead up to the Defenders, and they decided to pull from the worst parts of Daredevil Season 2 and the entirety of Iron Fist as like their go-to for this team-up, I knew that I wasn't going to come into the Defenders liking it because the villains were the draw. Yeah, so what was it about the show that did make you enjoy certain aspects of it? Honestly, it's because the the actors all bounced off of each other really well. Yeah. Daredevil and Jessica Jones were a surprisingly good uh, pairing for one another. Yes. Jessica's snarkiness matched up with Matt's sort of deadpan seriousness uh, to great effect. We already knew that Jessica and Luke worked really well together, and we saw some of that chemistry return. And somehow they made Danny slightly likable by pairing him with Luke for certain scenes. Like, it, it almost seemed like Danny was learning what a privileged douche he is. <laughs> right. Because he, because he was juxtaposed to Luke. Um, I think a lot of that probably comes from the fact that Marvel listened when people were complaining about how bad Iron Fist was, and they really didn't figure out a way to make Danny completely likable, but uh, at least his dynamic with Luke made him tolerable. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's the chemistry between the characters that really sells it. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about Luke and Danny, I think because of the fact that Luke is willing to just sort of sit there and make fun of him for, you know, like having this iron fist that lights up and everything and all this mm -hmm. sort of more magical stuff that Danny talks about. I think that's sort of what breaks that barrier there because it's like Danny was taking himself way too seriously, I think, in Iron Fist. Like, he needed to be the one to do everything and he was the only one who could fix everything and you know that kind of pushed Colleen to the side a lot in Iron Fist and you know that's a whole other story in itself that season but I think they did a better job of you know basically hitting him over the head with the realization that hey there are other people that aren't exactly like me but have these crazy abilities 
who can help out with big situations like this. Well, I think that that actually bleeds into the entire season, not just his interactions with Luke. Yeah. Because nobody takes him seriously. Right. Uh, like, he's a guy who kind of punches strong sometimes, teamed up with uh, an invulnerable guy who is strong, a woman who is strong, a, a blind guy who is really only that impressive once you know who his secret identity is even though he is really good at kung fu. And then Danny is just the guy who's sort of punchy strong sometimes, but only if he can really concentrate. Uh, like, objectively, he sucks compared to the rest of them. <laughs> right. And, like, not only that, but it kind of seems like even the hand was like, okay, you're the weak link here. We're going to go after you. We're, like, you're the manipulable one. You're the you're the one who is going to you're the keystone to our plan and conveniently enough you're the one who will would be easiest to capture and and take with us so i think that they realized what a miscalculation iron fist was and even if they couldn't course correct the entire show around that they at least course corrected his characterization to a certain extent yeah, and one thing I do want to mention quickly, not only is Jessica Jones, you know, this strong female character in this, but, you know, they still find a way to give you these glimpses of what Misty can do, Colleen, Claire, and then you have Karen and Trish, who they don't really meet or talk until the very end. But throughout this season, all I kept thinking about was like, okay, what pairings could they do with these characters from the different shows that would make sense? And I know you and I were briefly messaging about how they can do these little team ups instead of having everything need to be like another season of the Defenders. They could have, you know, Jessica Jones and Daredevil team up for like an episode in one of their seasons or something like that. But even with the secondary or supporting characters, I feel like there were a lot of connections they made in this season. And I feel like, you know, Claire already knows Misty a bit from Luke Cage. And she's someone who sort of ties the whole series together in general because she's appeared in every single season of these shows so they already have that strong female character that they can sort of lend to each of the shows but what do you think about the idea that you know karen and trish could potentially team up on some investigative effort outside of you know these main characters that we're thinking could team up well i definitely think that there's fertile ground for that to happen um Personally, I tend to think that the uh, slower, more investigative parts of all the various seasons are the weaker links. Um, I tend to think these shows work stronger when they're embracing their like pulpier, action-oriented right. uh, nature rather than trying to be like these deep mysteries. Um, so Karen and Trish, like, I think they're good characters, but I don't necessarily think that they're often given that much that's interesting to do. Um, as for uh, Colleen and Misty, uh, I love them both. I want to see as much of Colleen as I can, particularly because if we see more Colleen, uh, I think that she has the potential to overshadow 
uh, Danny to a certain extent, and yeah, and if we, if Iron Fist becomes the Colleen Wing show for second season, that's how they win me back, because uh, I think she's a character that's severely underserved uh, in her own series and actually got way better characterization in the Defenders, uh, particularly in that last episode. It's pretty dang neat when we get that scene of Claire and Colleen and Misty uh, taking on uh, Bakuto. Is it? Bakuto yeah. or something like that, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's Bakuto. He, uh, like, that felt like a really neat novelty to me because, again, even though the defenders themselves have really good character chemistry with one another their fighting styles are relatively similar to one another i mean everyone jokes about how uh every one of these shows revolves around hallway fights and like that's not entirely inaccurate right um but colleen like is is a novelty in in the action sense because like oh my god she brought a sword to the fight what a mind blow (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) So, uh, but, like, she's also this really interesting multifaceted character in the sense that she once was a bad guy, and that she's perpetually trying to redeem herself for that. That's super interesting to explore. It wasn't executed great in Iron Fist, but if you're using that as the foundation and want to build on it, you've got some really interesting character uh, work that you can go with there. I think that Misty is a really interesting counterpoint to Luke and how she wants to she wants to uphold the ideals of justice that uh that the police force represents even as Luke recognizes that they are often inadequate and detrimental to the pursuit of justice as he sees it. So she's a really interesting character in that sense, and having her bounce off of folks like Claire or Colleen with their own sense of with their own senses of justice, it 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 brings up really interesting character dynamics that, quite frankly, I think in many ways could overshadow the main players. Yeah, and I think what they did here is they left so many doors open for these different sorts of team-ups and who knows which ones they will pursue because I don't know if you're familiar with the Daughters of the Dragon comic. I'm not, no. So that is a six-issue limited series. I actually just read it the other night and it's Misty and Colleen working together and they're in the bail bonds business. And it's, you know, that's something that would be quite far away if they were to go that route, I think, for the show. But you know, we saw them take this step forward with Misty, who has a bionic arm, basically, in a lot of the comics that she's in. And with her arm being cut off in that episode, in that scene that you were mentioning with Colleen and Claire and Bakudo, it's like they're sort of pushing her character forward without making it feel too forced. So she's really sort of starting to become the character that she is in the comics. And while, like I said, I don't know if they'll ever go like the bail bonds route or anything like that, I could see her, you know, maybe going to Colleen for help with some police matters if, you know, like the main heroes are too busy doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you you set up potential for a lot of interesting B-plots right. in each of these seasons. And what's, what's happened so far is, like I said, the investigatory B-plots in each of these seasons are pretty much where they fall short. Uh, 
So I think if you instead shift each of those plots to being about these secondary characters that we've come to know, I think that that gives you a lot more potential to fill out your 13 episodes with something that's con- uh, continually entertaining. Yeah, and I'm curious as to whether or not they'll take into consideration how well this eight episode season did for them and if they will end up considering shortening their seasons to maybe like an eight or 10 episode run instead of making all of the solo series end up being 13 episodes and everything like that. And obviously with The Punisher coming up, that's more than likely already mostly finished as we're starting to see more teasers and everything come out. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure maybe that one will still be 13 episodes, but I don't know about anything coming in 2018 or something like that because I did enjoy the eight episode format that they had here, even though at the start it was a little slow getting the team together. And I think if anything, that wasn't, you know, like a huge criticism of the show, but it just felt like taking four episodes to actually get them on the same side and on the team. They could have maybe explored a little more of these subplots with the characters as they were all stuck in the police station with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The main issue with, uh, well, not even just the net, uh, Marvel Netflix shows, but most uh, Netflix shows, is that they don't really treat them as serialized television. They treat them as 13-hour films that they cut up into one-hour chunks. So when you have a film, you generally have like a three-act structure. And the first act is all the setup where you get familiar with the characters and the situation and the setting and all that good junk. And that's and if if you split the series into thirds, it's about in episode 3 where about the one third mark would be for the entire series of the defenders that they finally start bumping into each other and interacting as a team. So they have this three act structure put together, but that also means that it's incredibly slowly paced, particularly when it starts out, because you don't have enough to latch on to. Like, they're taking so much time to do the setup that it doesn't immediately engage you in the same way that a film that's edited for shorter length would. So I think they need to re-examine exactly how they are crafting these stories from the ground up, I don't necessarily know that they will because Netflix hasn't really had any incentive to do so. Right. But uh, I think that artistically embracing the more serialized nature of something that has to be cut into pieces for it for consumption, I think embracing that is a more artistically engaging way to go forward. Yeah, definitely. And Before we go forward here, I just want to quickly let you all know a little more about Loot Crate. So for the listeners of Welcome to Geekdom, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription over at LootCrate.com. If you enter the code BRIDGE10, you'll get that 10% savings. And if you go through our link, TryLootCrate.com forward slash GeekdomPod, that will help out the podcast and it will be of no additional cost to you. So if you're already going to check out Loot Crate, go ahead and just do it through our link. And what you get is for less than $20 a month, you'll get six to eight items, which includes licensed gear, apparel, and collectibles. Anything you can pretty much 
think of that would be in one of these boxes, you'll get quite the variety there. And you have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. So that's already passed for August. So if you sign up now, you'll be getting the next box there. Again, the link is trylootcrate.com forward slash geekdompod and the code is bridge10. Like I said, I'll have that all in the show notes and everything. But for now, back to the Defenders discussion. So, Lee, I was listening to a podcast episode with one of the showrunners on the Defenders, actually, or the showrunner, I'm not entirely sure, because his name is escaping me at the moment. But he was trying to make the Defenders be a show that you could just jump into and you wouldn't have needed to see all of the other seasons previous to it to sort of understand what was happening. Do you think that's something they did accomplish with, you know, that little introduction to each of the characters before really diving into the story at hand? Uh, Yes and no. I think that in the case of Luke, Jessica, and Danny you got enough of their backstory where it probably didn't matter if you'd seen the shows or not. In fact, someone asked me if they needed to watch Iron Fist because they really didn't want to. Right. And I and I said that you you can get away with it. Like, they do enough exposition for Danny where it, it doesn't feel like you're getting dragged down by it, which kind of makes me regret watching all of Iron Fist. But you know what? I just chalk that up to a weekend I'll never get back. Uh, but... With, with Daredevil, I think it's a little bit different, particularly because unless you are aware of his background with Elektra that happens throughout the back two-thirds of Daredevil Season 2, I don't think that she resonates as much, uh, even though they do a decent job of explaining who she is to Matt, I don't think that the arc quite works as a standalone. Yeah, and the thing with Electra and Matt is they don't even reveal a lot of this to Luke, Jessica, and Danny until later in the season. Like they're already working together and then they sort of have this bomb dropped on them with this information and you can tell right away they aren't happy with it. And I think if you are someone in the audience who has not seen that second season of Daredevil, you might be upset about it too. But, you know, for someone like you or I who has watched all of the seasons, we already knew. So it wasn't really a surprise to us. So it does sort of insert a different dynamic if you haven't watched those other seasons. And while something like Iron Fist might not, might not be as crucial, I think they did sort of flash back to these things that you might not have understood if you hadn't seen that particular daredevil season Mm -hmm. i i will say that it's it's comparable to the marvel movies in the sense that like you can you can watch the avengers and still pretty well understand what's going on without having seen the previous films it definitely helps to have seen the previous films right but like it's it's a pretty well contained story and i think that the defenders for the most part is a relatively well-contained story. I think it kind of sucks that they felt the need to bog themselves down with uh, a villainous organization and a character like Elektra, who are just boring as all get-out, but they worked with what they had and what they'd committed to do, and 
I, I think it worked out fine. I, I don't think it worked out as great as it could have, but like I thought I thought it was fine. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I reviewed it pretty favorably over at Hidden Remote and I was doing it episode by episode, so I didn't know the final outcome or anything before writing my reviews, which I think that sort of gave me a better experience with the show too, because I was reviewing it as I was watching each episode. So it's not like everything was spoiled for me by the time I went back and wrote the reviews. And I think, sure, you know, what the main problem is, like you said, The Hand is an organization we've already seen in two different seasons. So for anyone who has watched those previous seasons, it's like, okay, we couldn't get something, you know, a little different here. But I guess the way that Iron Fist ended, we probably had a pretty good idea that they were going to go with the hand here. And now that they finally hopefully wrapped up this storyline, although I'm not entirely convinced Madame Gao has disappeared because, you know, we literally see everyone else die. But if I'm remembering correctly, we don't actually see her die. She sort of just like retreats while Electra and Matt start fighting. Honestly, that that last scene underground was so dark, I can't even remember who ended up dying down there i know they threw i believe his name is murakami off of the elevator and then he ended up with like some piece of metal sticking out of him and madame gal was like standing over him as much as she can stand over someone (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know she could come back i i think that they if if it doesn't show her death i think that leaving that purposely ambiguous leaves them an avenue for the future without necessarily them feeling obligated to exploit it. So yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's open-ended TV writing 101. You can just, <laughs> you can just ignore things uh, that recede into the shadows if they don't ultimately work. Yeah. So then another thing I wanted to talk about was what this season really leads to. Obviously the goal was to destroy the hand and they pretty much accomplished that. I really don't see them bringing the organization back in full force like they did with this. I know we saw Madame Gao before really knowing what the hand was and everything like that too. And, you know, I think as far as the group of villains we had here goes, she was probably one of the more interesting out of the group that they had of the five fingers of the hand and everything like that. And, you know, with everyone else dead, I feel like if she is still around, she's not going to entirely go away, but I don't think she'll be as prominent as she has been with all of this hand stuff going on. No, particularly because I don't think that the hand is all that popular with fans either. So they, they probably want to move as far away from that in the future as they can. Yeah, so other than the Daredevil ending... They don't really give any indication if, you know, even if there will be a season two of the Defenders or if it was more to bring these characters together to use more in the solo shows and everything like we were discussing earlier. But what do you think of how they left that Daredevil ending leading into season three of that show, basically? You know, I don't necessarily have an opinion on it. I mean... When everyone started being sad that Matt was dead, I was and it if you if you are industry savvy, you already know that 
Daredevil season three is a thing right. that's happening. So it it's really obvious that they're not going to kill him off. It sure as hell would have been daring if they had, but yeah. uh, it wasn't going to happen. But as for him waking up in the, the, was it, was it a nunnery? Like, was that what they were implying? Yeah, I think so. Because in the comics, that's a direct image from the Born Again series that Frank Miller did. And sure, you know, in the comics, anyone who follows, you know, the movies, the comics and the shows and everything, it's like, especially my mind, it's like starts running wild with all these things they can do. And a lot of people are thinking that they're going to follow that born again storyline in season three. But I just read an interview that Charlie Cox did and he made the comment, you know, like, they're not going to just make it frame for frame like the comic book panels and everything Mm -hmm. because then for the comic book readers it's sort of like well what drama is there in that and that's a statement that I really agree with I don't need all of these comic book shows and movies to just be regurgitations of the comics if they want to put their own little twists on it and give us something new that is you know exciting and stuff like that I'm all for that so they'll probably take some aspects of the born again series but you know in that Karen Page is like a drug addict and into pornography and all this sort of stuff that I really couldn't see them taking that character in the show in that direction because it would be so far off from where she's at now yeah and I mean Frank Miller is not really known for his He's not really known for his female characters being well-rounded or good representation. Right. Uh, he tends to he tends to make them, to be frank, over-sexualized prostitutes most of the time. Uh, so I definitely don't see the shows taking too much inspiration from at least the characterization right. aspects. Um, but, uh, you know, if they want to adapt storylines from the comics, which, to to be blunt, I'm not super familiar with the comics for any of these four characters. Okay. But uh, if they wanted to go that route, I think that doing something similar to what the film side of things has done would be advisable, where they essentially take the titles from these uh, different series and like maybe some of the thematic draws from them, but then just build an entirely new story around it. I mean, that's, that's what happened with civil war. Yeah. Uh, and that's what was there a Ragnarok series for Thor. I, I'm, I honestly have no idea. I haven't read too many Thor comics. If I, I've read like one series, but it was totally different from the movies and not even remotely related. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can always dig into Marvel Unlimited and, you know, figure that out. Sure. Yeah. Well, or even like Guardians of the Galaxy is pretty much an entirely new property with with reskins of uh, like they, they're they're drawing characters from them, but they're pretty much entirely new iterations but point being, like, if they wanted to do so-called adaptations of uh, storylines, it's better to use them as inspiration rather than as uh, gospel, if you will. Yeah, and I'll definitely 
link to that interview in this and I'll send it to you, Lee, because I think you'll find a lot of what he said pretty along the lines of what we're hoping they do. So it was definitely an interesting read. And really, I feel like the way that they ended the Defenders, it only gave an inkling as to what would happen in Daredevil, but not really any of the other shows. I know, you know, Luke Cage is all about wanting to fix up Harlem before anything else. And all of these characters sort of have their own neighborhoods. And I know Jessica Jones sort of makes her way around more of New York simply because of being a private eye. So not all of her clients are going to keep her in one section of New York. But, you know, Daredevil has Hell's Kitchen. And I don't really entirely know what Danny is going to do with himself now that the hand is done. So like you said, if they have Colleen play a bigger role in Iron Fist season two, I'm totally fine with that. But then, you know, we have the Punisher coming up and we didn't really get any inkling of where that could go and something in that could lead to something in one of the other seasons. So there's so many options that they can do here just based on how they ended this with everyone else other than Daredevil. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's similar to, again, to draw the Avengers comparison. Like, y- y- like nobody really ended that movie being like, oh, there's this is where Iron Man's going to go. This is where Captain America's going to go. Where, what's happening from here? Like, they essentially were, like, building some up to this until now, and now they've done it, and they're trying to figure out where to go from here. And... Each of these shows has their own showrunner that has a different vision for what they want the show to be. Um, I mean, you see that in the drastic differences in tone between something like Jessica Jones versus Luke Cage uh, versus Daredevil, even though they share characters between them. They they are very different shows in a lot of respects, stylistically. So for those seasons to be dictated by the ending of a crossover seems a little disingenuous uh, to the artistic visions of the showrunners that initially made those shows successful. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad it's open-ended. I'm, I'm glad that we're going to see more Jessica Jones that isn't weighed down by baggage of what happened in The Defenders. I mean, you may get glimpses of it, but I doubt it that the Defenders is going to be required viewing in order to enjoy Jessica Jones season two. Same with Luke Cage. I think that Iron Fist is going to be probably the series that is most affected by the events of Defenders, mostly because Defenders in many ways feels like Iron Fist season 1.5. Yeah. But overall, I'm, I'm all on board for continuity being a lot looser and a lot less rigidly planned out because that allows you to cherry pick the pieces that worked uh, in the stuff that people liked and then build good stuff out of that. So they're, they're, they're keeping their options open, which is something I wish they'd done prior to the defenders coming out, but out of, out of the hole that they dug for themselves, I'm pretty happy with what ended up resulting. Yeah, and that does totally make sense because you don't want to have to feel like, you know, these shows have to be forced to go in certain directions and everything like that. I was just thinking more along the lines they would give us maybe a little more after the fact than they did because, you know, you have 
the huge fight scene and the building imploding on itself. And then it's like we get a little time with each of the characters later, but it's sort of just like, okay, hey, this is sort of how everyone's feeling after this has happened and not really what they're doing and moving on and doing. Yeah, it did feel kind of like everyone was moping about Matt being dead. Right. Which, as an audience member who fully realizes that Matt isn't going to be dead, it it kind of dragged on a little bit. So, like, maybe if they'd use that time to do a little bit of tease and setup, but, you know, it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not too hung up on it. I, I don't necessarily wish that they'd done more teases, but if they were going to use that time, it would have been a better use of that time. I will concede that. Yeah, and they could have even done something as simple as like, you know, hey, Jessica has a new client and it doesn't necessarily need to be a client we're going to see in the next season. It's just like, okay, everyone's sort of getting back into things. You know, Luke is supposedly supposed to have a job, according to Claire, (laughs) and you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. I think that wouldn't necessarily tease the next season, but just sort of show them past that point of, you know, hey, Matt's dead or so they think. Well, Jessica got actually got a scene like that where she returned to her office and um, what's his face was filling in the bullet holes. Oh yeah, she... yeah, yeah. Malcolm was filling the stuff in, and she finally unveiled the new glass. And you're just like, yes, okay, more yep. Jessica Jones, please. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So she's actually, I think she's the only one who actually got a scene like that. Yeah. Uh, now that I think about it, but yeah, worked for me. Yeah. So, is there anything we haven't touched on yet that you definitely wanted to talk about? I guess I kind of want to just touch on uh, Sigourney Weaver a little bit Yeah. uh, as Alexandra. Um, I liked her performance. I really did. Uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver is usually excellent in just about anything she is in. She's she's got this really cool malevolence to her that really works well for villainous roles, particularly in her later career. And I feel entirely cheated that she ended up getting killed by Electra of all people because I'm sorry Electra sucks like Electra is easily the worst part of Daredevil season two she's not interesting Ellie Young is not a great actress uh she just drags it all down as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that was actually going to be one of my next questions about Electra is if you thought it was simply how they wrote the character or if it was a combination of that and the actress or, you know, just Elodie Young's performance. It's it's all of the above. Okay. Like I've I've never liked Electra as a character. She's she's again, she's spun out from a Frank Miller storyline, and I think that the way that he writes female characters is atrocious. So, like, from her conception, she's a flawed character, but even then, like, the way they wrote her, uh, in, in season two of Daredevil, she's, she functions as a distraction for Matt for the majority of the season, like, that's her role, but because she's a distraction for Matt, it basically means that we're watching Matt dick around and not do daredevil stuff which makes for a really boring back half of the season and then i just i'm not impressed with elodie young as an actress and it's not just her role as electra i've seen her in other things and she gives a lot of really flat delivery that i just don't get behind so 
Okay. Yeah, I haven't Sorry. personally seen her in anything else. And when I was, you know, cruising through her IMDb page and everything, I was like, you know, she hasn't really been in too many higher profile things. This really sort of felt like the first bigger role she had. I know she was in stuff before this, but it didn't seem like anything too recognizable right off the bat. And I think a big reason why she got this part was because of the fact that she has a martial arts background of sorts. I know she's a black belt in something. Don't ask me which form of fighting it is. I just remember listening to her on the Marvel podcast about that. And she does have a certain amount of fighting skills. And I think that probably played a huge role into her getting this. Oh, I absolutely don't doubt it. And I think that... I think that with the exception of Elodie Young, they've done a really good job of of casting folks. Well, okay, no, I take that back because <laughs> I was I was going to say that they had done a good job of casting folks that exude the physicality as well as uh, the personality. But then I remembered that Finn Jones, who plays Danny Rand, has neither physicality nor great acting chops. So... Forget I said that. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that in general they do, they've done a pretty good job. But uh, I I think that there there is absolutely nothing about Electra that I enjoy. Let's just let's just leave it at that. Okay, and we'll go back to Sigourney Weaver for a bit here because her character was very interesting in the way they portrayed her outside of what she was doing with the hand. You know, she's sitting there and has this, you know these orchestra students just playing to literally just her and then you have a moment later where she's sitting next to this old Victrola which as a music nerd that just totally made me happy because you don't see those too often and when you do they don't look nearly as good as that one did but that's a whole other thing but you sort of see her a lot on her own and she dines by herself and you know when she's dealing with her sickness she's by herself because she is dying throughout this before Electra ends up killing her. Mm -hmm. Well, she's a character defined by her, not quite agelessness, but her, but by definition, she's a character out of time. Right. She's lived for virtually ever uh, and has essentially amassed power and wealth just by living for as long as she has. But She's also coming to grips with her own mortality and uh, potentially not being able to regenerate as she has before. And, like, that's really interesting to watch someone who at one point considered themselves immortal have to deal with their mortality. Um, and a lot of that com doesn't come through in dialogue for her. It comes, it comes through in her actions, which is much more interesting to see in an actor than it is to hear them just explain how they're feeling all the time. Uh, and Weaver is, is a really good actress for conveying that sort of subtle feeling. Uh, I, th I thought she was great casting, and I really wish that instead of the big twist being that Electra outsmarted and killed her, I, I wish that the twist had been that she turned out to be a lot more malevolent and sinister than she ultimately was because it seemed like they were building to that and it, it was disappointing to see her 
basically be killed without her having had a really cool villain moment. Yeah, I definitely thought they were building up to something more too. And then when things sort of started to fall apart internally and everything like that, like when White Hat didn't come back and when you have, you know, Madame Gao trying to get Murakami and Bakudo in line and still following along with her plan, you sort of see things unraveling from the inside of the organization. And I feel like in that moment, she could have done something to just sort of show that she really was still the one in charge and everything. And, you know, even if she, I'll just use Murakami for an example, if she had killed him on the spot or something for being disloyal to her, I think that would have been more effective because, you know, he dies by falling off of the elevator and it didn't really seem to matter as much to matter as much how he died particularly in this because there was no real attachment between him and any of the heroes we hadn't really seen him before if i'm remembering correctly too right it it would have it would have given the show a lot more emotional investment in watching the villain attempt to succeed if they'd actually if they'd actually given her anything to do besides monologue exposition at us right i i feel like sigourney weaver was she was very well cast for the role but i think she was underserved by the uh the writing of that role if that makes sense yeah definitely and i used him as an example because you know obviously that scene with colleen and misty and bakudo that is something that has to happen and i think it was really great that they included that in here because then it gives you know those two characters a little push forward in their development and everything like that and personally i did not care for bakudo at all in iron fist or in this it's just like he felt so obsessed with colleen the entire time it was borderline not borderline it was pretty creepy (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah you know i i wasn't a fan of pretty much anything in iron fist but i will say that giving colleen a like some character growth was probably the most interesting part of that final episode right uh like even more so than the ultimate clash uh underground that all the defenders participated in like I, I honestly think that Colleen Wing is the MVP of this season. I just want more Colleen Wing. Like, maybe it's because she's from a really bad show, that, and she's, like, the one aspect of it that's at all redeemable in my eyes, but I just want more Colleen Wing. I want... I just want Colleen Wing. <laughs> yeah, and f- for me with Iron Fist, it was her and Claire that sort of made me feel like, okay, maybe... Iron Fist was just okay of a series because they gave us more of these two characters or, you know, Colleen in general, and then more of Claire. And, you know, I know Claire is never going to necessarily be at the forefront and fighting the battles with them. And she was sort of just dragged into this when her and Misty realized Colleen was gone. And she is the night nurse, basically, that's what she's called in the comics, because she's the one who's always, you know, patching up these heroes and everything like that. And I think, you know, they do a good job of giving Claire just enough to do. And you sort of see that in that scene with 
Misty and Colleen, it's like, okay, obviously Claire isn't, you know, quite the fighter that either of these two ladies are, but they're still sort of giving her this fight in her that they show with every season that she's been in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. One last thing I want to bring up is the humor that they put in in the show and not just with Luke making fun of Danny and everything like that for his fist and the magic behind it and fighting a dragon and that sort of thing. But you have these little moments where you'll get these quippy little lines from Jessica or even there's one where Claire and Luke walk up and Danny and Colleen were fighting Bakudo and she's sort of just like, wait that guy was definitely dead last time, right? Or something to that effect. And it just sort of gives you this little bit of comedic relief. And I think they inserted those bits fairly well throughout these eight episodes. And it sort of just kept you getting these more these little aspects of the characters. And especially with someone like Jessica Jones, too. It's like, if you don't have her making those sort of remarks that she makes, it's not the same. No, and I think it contributed to the idea that this series is meant to be sort of lighter and more fun right? than than the longer, more individual seasons. Like, you definitely get the character drama that characterizes each of them, but this in general tended to be a much more colorful and uh, bouncier affair. Like, you pretty much knew what all of the beats were going to be before you started watching it, and you just sort of followed along because it was fun. And at the end of the day, that's that's how it worked out. Like, they knew what beats to hit and when to hit them, for the most part, and it was relatively effective. Uh, comedy and all. Yeah, definitely. Well, is there anything at all that we have missed here i'm sure you know you and i could probably keep talking details pretty long here but i think we've covered quite a bit that we wanted to get through Mm -hmm. yeah no i'm i'm good at cutting it off awesome well again thank you so much for returning to the podcast lee this was definitely fun and i think we can both agree that this was definitely much better than iron fist so (laughs) it was more enjoyable even though there were still some flaws with it which i don't know if we've ever seen a perfect perfect season of marvel's netflix shows but you know we'll see are you going to be watching the punisher i i do plan on it uh i'm interested to see what comes of it particularly because it seems like they sort of greenlit it when they realized oh people really like the punisher from daredevil but and, and like, it doesn't seem like there was a ton of forethought for it, but I know John Bernthal is really excited for, uh, for the plot that they came up with for it. So, and, and so we'll, we'll see, we'll see what, uh, what they came up with and maybe I'll be back on to talk about that when it hits. Yeah, definitely. You are welcome on the podcast anytime. I know we've had a few different ideas tossed out there, but we'll see what all comes together here. I know there's quite a few fall Netflix shows coming up, so I'm sure I will be pretty busy trying to see who is going to come on for what. But again, thank you so much, Lee, for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Of course. And to the listeners, as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.